Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that weathers the storms of history to deliver old news in a new way. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about an unholy storm from the 19th century that ravaged shipping lanes and coastal towns throughout southwest England and Wales. The day was October 26, 1859. One of the worst storms in history struck the British Isles, sinking 133 ships and badly damaging 90 others. The slow-moving storm arose in the English Channel the night before, when two separate low-pressure systems collided. From there, it moved north across Devon and Cornwall until it reached the Irish Sea. By early morning, the storm had grown larger and more powerful, with wind speeds estimated at more than 100 miles per hour. When the storm surged inland through Wales, it ripped off the roofs of houses and crushed the terrified inhabitants with falling rocks and debris. Dozens of deaths and countless injuries were sustained on shore, but the greatest loss of life occurred at sea. There, the estimated death toll was said to be 800, double the amount of people lost at sea around the British Isles in the entire previous year. Notably, more than half of those 800 casualties belonged to a single vessel, the Royal Charter, the doomed ship from which the terrible storm got its name. The Royal Charter was a steam clipper, a merchant sailing ship designed especially for speed. 
It had set sail from Melbourne, Australia, en route to Liverpool, England, less than 60 days before the storm hit. It carried roughly 490 passengers and crew, many of whom were mining families, who had traveled to Australia to strike it rich during the country's ongoing gold rush. Having successfully plundered the Victoria goldfields, they returned to England with their newfound wealth in tow. In total, the ship's cargo was worth well over 300,000 pounds, the equivalent of tens of millions of pounds in today's money. There was plenty more gold on board than that, too, as many passengers also kept some in their own possession, stowed in their luggage and even sewn into the lining of their clothes. On October 25th, the inbound Royal Charter was on the final leg of its two-month journey. After a brief stop in Queenstown, Ireland, the ship was ready to make the final push across the Irish Sea towards Liverpool. At first, it was smooth sailing up St. George's Channel, but then the wind picked up and began to slow their progress. The vessel's captain, Thomas Taylor, ordered the sails to be lowered and pressed forward using the ship's steam-powered engines. That afternoon, they reached the port town of Hollyhead, Wales, where the captain faced a difficult decision. He was eager to prove the Royal Charter's reputation as one of the fastest ships at sea, and had hoped to reach Liverpool in less than 24 hours. However, conditions were worsening by the minute, and the hazy sky seemed to threaten that the worst was still to come. Captain Taylor could either play it safe and seek shelter for the night at Hollyhead, or he could bet on the speed of his ship and try to make it to Liverpool before the storm hit with full force. He chose the latter option, pressing on despite the increasing wind. That may seem like a reckless move, and to an extent it was, but it's worth remembering that there were no satellites, radios, or weather reports in those days. So while Captain Taylor knew they were in for nasty weather, he had no way of knowing that he was sailing straight into a hurricane. Late that evening, the Royal Charter rounded the northwest corner of Anglesey Island and began traveling east along the coast toward Liverpool. Not long after, 100-mile-an-hour winds began gusting down from the north, blowing the ship perilously close to the nearby coast of Anglesey. The crew tried to maintain their heading as best they could, but as the winds strengthened, steering became impossible, and the ship started to drift helplessly toward the rocky shoreline. At around 11 o'clock that night, Captain Taylor dropped anchors to try and slow their drift. He also launched rockets and set off other distress signals, but no other ship was near enough to see them. The Royal Charter struggled to hold its ground against the wind, and after about two hours, one of the two anchor cables snapped. An hour after that, the second cable gave way, and the ship started hurtling toward the coast once again. At that point, Captain Taylor ordered all the masts and rigging to be cut down in order to reduce the drag of the wind. He pushed the steam engines to their limit, but still couldn't make headway against the fierce wind. Eventually, the ship was driven so far inshore that it became lodged on a sandbar in Port Haleth, not far from the village of Moyle Vray. In a rare twist of luck, the ship's hull was undamaged and remained watertight but the passengers and crew were still trapped at sea, and now their ship was resting at an angle and still being pummeled by gale-force winds and high waves. As the sun rose in the early hours of October 26th, a group of locals spotted the grounded Royal Charter just 25 yards from shore. 
They immediately mounted a rescue effort, but as the tide rose, the ship was lifted off the sandbar and dashed against the jagged rocks nearby. It split in two on impact, and the villagers on the shore could only watch as 60-foot waves battered the ship to pieces right in front of them. Some of the passengers reportedly leapt into the sea, only to be dragged down by the weight of the gold they'd lined their clothes with. In the end, only 40 of the 490 or so people on board survived. The rest, including all of the women and children, were lost in the wreck. It was, and still is, the highest death toll of any shipwreck on the Welsh coast. The Royal Charter was far from the only ship affected by the storm. According to statistics from the Board of Trade, 132 other ships were lost on the morning of October 26th, and another 90 were severely damaged. However, the enormity of the Royal Charter disaster captured the public's interest in a way that few other natural disasters ever had. This was largely due to the recent advent of the Telegraph, which allowed the news to be quickly spread across Britain and beyond. For the more mercenary members of the public, the wreck was a chance to make some easy money. People came from all over to hunt for the many gold coins and ingots that washed up around the coast. The vast majority of the ship's cargo was recovered from the seafloor through legitimate salvage operations, but a good deal of the wealth on board was pocketed by passers-by, and to this day, scuba divers still occasionally find some. To be clear, there were altruistic responses to the tragedy as well. In the weeks following the storm, hundreds of bodies washed ashore all along the east coast of Anglesey. Once recovered, they were taken to the closest parish for proper burial and, if possible, for identification. The rector of St. Galgo Church, Reverend Stephen Roos Hughes, personally took charge of most of the dead. He laid 140 victims to rest in his own churchyard, coordinated the burial of many others, and wrote hundreds of heartfelt letters of sympathy and condolence to the bereaved. We know this, in part, because author Charles Dickens went to report on the shipwreck himself and recorded his impressions of the gentle reverend in his book, The Uncommercial Traveler. I had heard of that clergyman, Dickens wrote, as having buried many scores of the shipwrecked people, of his having opened his house and heart to their agonized friends, of his having used a most sweet and patient diligence for weeks and weeks in the performance of the forlornest offices that man can render to his kind, of his having most tenderly and thoroughly devoted himself to the dead and to those who were sorrowing for the dead. I had said to myself, in the Christmas season of the year, I should like to see that man. Charles Dickens wasn't the only one to report on the Royal Charter storm. The wreck attracted attention from all around the world, and at home in England, the coverage drew attention to the need for a storm warning service. A weather scientist named Robert Fitzroy took up that substantial challenge. Fitzroy was a meteorological statistician for the Board of Trade, and had recently founded a new department there, called the Meteorological Office, or the Met Office. His department had spent the last five years collecting observational data along the British coastline and when he reviewed the reports from the Royal Charter storm, he became convinced that its path could have been predicted. Together with his team, he produced a detailed report to show how it could be done in the future, and the British government granted them permission to test the new science in action. 
The Met Office began collecting weather reports by electric telegraph in the fall of 1860. Then, on February 5th of the following year, the service issued its first-ever storm warning, marking a crucial step in the development of modern weather forecasting. Of course, no matter how good humans get at predicting the weather, storms still catch us off guard sometimes and ships still occasionally sink. The sea will always be dangerous, but because the right lessons were learned and implemented, ships now know which routes to avoid and when. There are exceptions, but for the most part, widespread maritime tragedies like those of the Royal Charter Storm are a lot less likely than they used to be. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another spooky day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.